Welcome to Rough Drafts, how God writes his love in our stories, a podcast that explores the faith journeys of our friends and neighbors in Burns, Tennessee. Everyone has a story to tell. And in this podcast, we'll hear powerful and inspiring stories of how God works in the ordinary lives of people like you and me. Our stories are unfinished and perfectly imperfect. They're just rough drafts, a glimpse of what is to come because God is still at work, writing plot twists, introducing new characters, and bringing good even from the most challenging circumstances. Join us as we see what God is up to in our stories. Here's your host, Matthew Hyatt. Well, today's guest makes me laugh at her, with her, whichever. It's it's kind of an all of the above thing. <laughs> Which is good, because if she didn't, I'd probably be scared of her. She is a Marine. I said one time that she was a Marine, and I regretted that decision immediately after when I learned that you don't used to be Marines. You you are Marines. Mm -hmm. She's thoughtful. She's talented. She's a top dog insurance guru. She has a great family and a wonderful sense of humor, and I think that you're going to find our time with her is good medicine for your soul. I am really excited to spend some time with today's guest, Miranda Fuson. Miranda, thanks for coming. You set that bar way too high. Yeah. <laughs> See, it's one of the ways that I get people to agree to do this is I record myself saying nice things about them that they can use later in life. It makes sense. It brings your guard down, too. So now you're like, That's hey. why there's not a Joanne Gray episode, because I can't record like <laughs> me saying nice things about her or Monica, you know, <laughs> because she would just play those back for me every time I called. <laughs> I like it. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. You had a good day? Uh, so far, so good. Kick so far, so good. Yeah. You know what we're here for? I do. I do. And I have no clue what's going to happen next. That's what's fun. I don't know your story. I've known you for uh, uh, six, seven years. I, that that sounds lot. about right. Yeah. I know you're from Ohio. I am. Originally. I know who you're married to. I know do that you? you are a Marine. Yeah. We say former Marine. Uh, former? That, yes. that feels wrong, too. Yeah. Well, you'll always be a Marine in my book. Thanks. Please don't shoot me. I promise. Today. Do you, do you really? <laughs> Today. That's that's much better. You know, Marshall has this thing that he says that he's planning on doing when when Millie goes on dates about throwing a bullet to someone and saying the next time it comes a lot faster. Yeah, I've heard this story. Yeah, you roll your eyes pretty hard every time it happens, don't you? Every single time. I feel like if we raise her right, we don't need that whole thing to happen. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> like, I'm not worried about Katie. Um, I'm more worried about her, like, skinning the boy alive if he tries something she doesn't like. I can see that. I like it. She goes into full lion mode. (laughs) You know, she wants to be the first girl president so that she can have tigers in the White House lawn. I love that. Um, I think she wants them as pets, not as like James Bond villain sort of things, but time will tell. I feel like she could go either way. It it really could. Yeah. Wow, we're off quick. So (laughs) so I feel like we need to turn back to the point of the podcast. Miranda, what's, what's your God story? So, okay, let's talk about when you text me this, a bunch of texts in a row, and I was in a meeting, and I think you thought I was going to say no. And I read it, and I immediately thought, well, I'm not the person for you, because my God story is a progression. That's the first word that came into my mind. Um, But then I thought to myself, well, that's exactly why you need to do it, because some of these people out there have these great God stories, right? Like this, I don't know, like lightning struck, and they just knew, and everything aligned, and it was beautiful. And... I had that thought that that was what was going to happen to me. And that's why my story has been such a progression and slow because one, I'm a slow learner. But two, also, I didn't have this like amazing aha moments. There's like these miraculous parts of the story, but nothing that was like, hmm. Yeah. So I think the one thing to know that is very different 
for me than most of the people that we go to church with is I was not raised in church. Um, I can remember the first time I went to church, I was 10 years old and my next door neighbor was a preacher and it was a non-denominational church and they were having a guest person come in and he stood at the pulpit and he, um, he danced and he sang and he made me super uncomfortable and I didn't go back for a really long time. I've always thought it's really strange that in church, what you tend to do is you tend to invite guests when you don't have the normal guy there. Like, it sort of feels like, hey, we know you won't come with the normal guys here, but maybe if there's somebody else, you'll actually try it. Like, yes. It's just a funny, funny default answer in church. Yes. Me and my sister laughed inappropriately the whole entire um, service. And we still laugh about it today, how inappropriate it was. Um, so I did, But I never felt comfortable, so I didn't go back for a really long time. Uh, my parents growing up, my dad was in the Navy. And so he worked. He was gone six months out of the year. They never made church a priority. My mom grew up in the church, but she had, um, she felt shunned. She became pregnant with my sister when um, her and my father were married. And so she would not take us into a church because she felt judged. And like she was given up because they wouldn't marry her. And anyway, so didn't spend much time in church growing up. But I always knew um, just the basics, right? And so I would say my first experience, my first like real part of the progression was when I went to boot camp. So um, you think about people in the military and you wonder, are those godly people? And I will tell you, those are some of the most godly people that is on this earth. Um, you talk about God, country, core. Well, you got to believe in something real big, bigger than yourself. If you're going to go and fight in a war where you could lose your life, because then what happens, right? Yeah. So I'm in boot camp and I'm like, oh, gosh, this is this is way tough. So I've heard. <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> this, is, this is serious. And the first Sunday rolls around and uh, you have a choice. You have one hour of free time, Marine Corps boot camp on Sundays. And your choice is this. You go to church or you stay back and you write letters to your family. Well, that's, that's kind of a tough. I sort of hate that those two are pitted against each other. Yeah. Yeah, it was a tough decision. Um, and the first week I wrote letters to my family. And then there's this long period of time where you don't hear from your family because mail is super slow and things were just not, family wasn't writing. And I was like, I need something. I need something to feed my soul. And my bunkmate was like, you need to come. You will feel so much better. This will get you through the week. So about week three, I'm like, okay. And she's like, plus, there's no drill instructors allowed in the church. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, I'm there. So... um, so we went and and it filled my soul. And I was like, this is something. There's something to be said for this. And that was the first time I can remember starting a prayer life. Like I went back to my bunk. We we hit the rack. I but before I went to sleep, I, I kind of made a deal with God, like, hey, I'm here and I think you're who you are. I think you can get me through this, but I don't think I can do it alone. So if you can if you can do this, I'm gonna know. Like you're you're legit, right? And um and things got easier. And I know that happens in boot camp, but things got easier because he was with me the whole time. And um and that was the start of my journey. But then life happens and you think if you're not raised in church, you always have this perception of I'm not good enough. Like I thought I had to do all these things in order to be baptized, in order to join the church when you know, people say it to you all the time. The church would burn down if I came into it. 
you know, it's one of those. And Marshall hates it because my answer is the same every time. <laughs> We've got great insurance. Try it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> to which he rolls his eyes very hard. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's so tired of hearing me say that. <laughs> you would solve a lot of problems for me. You know? Go on. Do you have any other heathen friends you could bring with you to increase the chances? So you heard we have a building committee. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's funny, though. Like, I, I, I need to speak careful here. Um, there are churches that explicitly, intentionally make people feel that way. But they are the minority. There are a lot more churches, I think, that unintentionally make people feel that way. Mm-hmm. You know, that you're not going to be good enough. And I don't think that I don't think that our people are aware sometimes of how they accidentally do it. Um, I agree. Um, I think when you're, especially when you're raised in church, it's just it's not. It's so foreign. It's like when you go to the gym and you feel uncomfortable. I still can show up to church to this day and feel a little uncomfortable. When I guest speak places, I feel uncomfortable yeah. and they're paying me to come. Right. Like, and this is like what you do. Like yeah. this is your calling, right? And so it's easy to do that by accident to people. Going to the gym was so good for me because it just clicked on me that I feel at the gym the way the normal person feels at church. I feel vulnerable, exposed, judged, laughed at. That's how I feel. Even though no one is doing those things, it's all in my head. But, you know, I look over there at these guys who are lifting my truck. And, you know, I'm over here with the little pink girly weights <laughs> thinking I'm not good enough to be here. That's you know, um, Man, that gets in our head. And the devil is so good at multiplying that, magnifying. I, I don't know the, the right words, but... you. We're five minutes into your story, and you told me that about your mom. You told me that about yourself. This is a recurring theme already that... Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, sorry. Keep going. No, no, no. Yeah, no. So I didn't think I was good enough. And there was a lot of years after the Marine Corps where I was just trying to figure myself out. Um, I didn't come from a real supportive family. I was kind of on my own. And I would pray, and I knew God was with me, but I wasn't doing anything to grow that relationship. Uh, and so... That that happened. And then I had this point in my life where I graduated from college and I thought, now what? I don't love the trajectory. I wasn't doing anything that was not okay. It just didn't feel good. Right. I don't know another way to explain it except for that. And there was a time and and this happens a lot in Crossroads. And as my story progresses is there's there's this moment like I could have stayed in Ohio I came back, I went to school, did all the things, and I could have stayed and lived in Ohio forever. But something, even though my family was there, something wasn't there that was fulfilling to me. And I had this option. Uh, You can stay in Ohio with this job that you've taken after college, and it's going to be a great career. Or you can try this other thing. And it's, we're going to promote you and you can move to Tennessee. I don't know anybody in Tennessee. I don't know anything about Tennessee. It's in the South. It's warmer. So I spent a lot of time in prayer and I felt very strongly that God was saying, you need to leave. It's time to go. Like if you want to progress in your life, if you want more fulfillment, you have to get out of this. And so everybody thought I lost my mind. I mean, it's terrifying. Yeah. Like it makes me nervous just hearing you say that story. What would I do if, you know? Yeah. And it thought it felt like a real good idea until the first night I got here and spent alone in my apartment. I was like, what did I just do? This was really not smart. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, this is the worst idea I ever had. Come to fruition. And I've had some really bad ideas. Like, we have walked a path and made some really terrible decisions that other people have not had to make. And and this one is what I'm going to consider my one of my worst. But a week later, I met Marshall. And um, that's when you knew you'd hit rock bottom. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Can't get any worse. Go home to Ohio. <laughs> 
<laughs> I was a whole human when I met Marshall, and I think that's why I didn't meet Marshall until very far. God knew that I couldn't, I couldn't do that until say that, then. Say that sentence again. I, I, was, I was a whole human. Whole human. Yeah, that's a great phrase. Yeah, because I really hate when I hear um, a love story or whatever. It's like, oh, he completes me. Yeah. If, if you're counting on a person to complete you, that relationship is in trouble because you're putting way too much burden on another human being. That's it. And I had been in relationships where I, prior to that where I thought that, that that's what needed to happen. Yeah. And no. So I spent a lot of time working on myself. And that was one of the reasons I left Ohio was like, I, I can do this on my own. I don't need anybody to depend on. I, I've told this story to a few people, but part of the story of me getting together with Leslie was, you know, I didn't date a lot. I was super insecure. Um you know, didn't have a ton of friends that did better with friends in college, but high school and middle school were just horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, get to college and, you know, I'm at Fried Hardeman, find a husband university, you know, yeah. there's people getting MRS degrees left and right, you know, <laughs> and, you know, I, I hadn't really found anybody for me. And, you know, you kind of go to this, am I going to be alone? What's this going to look like? Am I broken? And I, I wish I could remember what the guy said in the, the Devo, but went to one of these campus Devos one night. I remembered nothing about it, but I remember going to bed that night and and praying, God, you you are enough, and I'm enough without someone. If I have you, whatever happens is cool. And I, that was the first time I had ever gotten to be close to being a whole human, I think. Yeah. You know? And the next day is when I met her, hmm. um, and she rejected me on the spot. That's a whole other story, but I think that was... I, I think God was just chuckling the whole time. It was almost like he was saying, no, not yet. Yeah. Not yet. So y- your story, man, It, I, I feel it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. As, and you have to, the scary part of that is the prayer and being okay with whatever the answer is to getting to that point in your, where you're actually willing to say, it's it's whatever you want and I'm okay with that because I trust you more than I trust myself. And, you know, that happens. You ebb and flow through that throughout life. And depending on what the situation is, you always try to take back control. But in that moment, I, I knew it was very clear that I needed to follow what he was telling me. And, and that was to leave. And and I did. And a week later, I got down here and I met Marshall. And what Marshall did for me is he helped grow my faith in the way that he made me comfortable to go to church. I had somebody to do it with. I didn't have to walk through the doors alone. And so... And in that, I could grow my faith because I could learn and know where I needed to be. And so we had been going to church together, I don't know, maybe six months. And um, and he knew at the time that he was going to ask me to marry him. And I didn't know that, but I knew that he was my person, right? So at some point, that probably is going to happen. And he said, you know, I don't want to just be with you in this life. I want to be with you forever. And the only way to do that, as you know, is for you to be baptized. Well, I'm in my late 20s, and the thought of baptism was just terrifying to me because you got to get up in front of the, I mean, I believed wholeheartedly in the whole thing, but me getting up in front of those people and me saying that, you know, I'm a, I'm in a place where I feel like I'm okay enough to do this, but then rethinking, I, everybody's in a place, it, it's just start, it's the beginning. I think that I missed that for so long. It took so long to realize that's the start of your story. This leads you to this point, but this is where it really starts. The book is not over here. Yes, you know? right. Yeah, I think that I had assumed that all these years, almost 30 years of life, that that was the end, but that's really just the beginning. And and when I recognized that, then I knew. 
And so um, I would say then I was baptized. And from there, it has been seeking growth and having these hard times and remembering that I'm not the one in control. But there's been no like great like, oh, he spoke to me moment. And I think that if somebody is not in church or just new to church and they're holding their breath and waiting for that to happen, they need to know that it's okay that that might not ever happen or not happen in the way you think because a lot of times that happens through pain and suffering and hardships in your life. You know, I grew closer to God when we went through infertility. You know, I grew, you know, that was, that was really hard. You know, that was me begging, please just, if you let me have a child, I'll raise that child in your church. And, you know, just please, please, please. And that went on for five years. And, um, and so it's those things where you grow your faith and maybe not just a thing. And I think that when you said this to me, my God story, that's, that's the thing I thought about. Well, that's incredible <clears throat> because like you said, we get, we like to tell sometimes the, the, you know, the angels sing the bright light shines moments <clears throat> and those make good books and movies, mm-hmm. but I don't think those are the majority of our sh- There's moments. I mean, boot camp was a moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving to Tennessee was a moment. Baptism was a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but no one moment was that momenty. Yeah. yeah. Momentous. Hey, that would have been, that would have been the right way to say that. Um, but when you string them all together, they're they're really something. They're building blocks. I I love to go to those conferences and see these women who had those moments, like light switch. They're all in. Like that was their thing. It was this period. And I and but on the other hand, there's a lot of us who don't just have one moment. We have stepping blocks in our faith, and and not to think that he's not with you in those times because those times I feel you know the closest to him, and I know that he was with me in those times. I really hate the fact that I think that um, pain and discomfort are two of the most useful things for formation of a human being. I truly hate that because I'm I'm convinced that almost nothing good comes during comfort. I agree. I really like comfort. I know. And, I, and it's scary because our kids are real comfortable. Okay, so let's talk about that because, you know, we're trying to raise kids right now. Mm-hmm. And everybody who ever raises kids says, you know, I want my kids to have it better than I did or I want my kids to have it good. And so... Our kids are so comfortable. I mean, so, so what's the answer? I mean, do you like lock them outside three days a week and not let them eat? I've thought about that, but that doesn't seem to be a good answer. No. No. DCS is not listening. It's okay. No. I think that part of it is us recognizing that it doesn't have to be as hard as it was for us to build character. And so in those moments, because it's different for us and acknowledging the difference, right? So the things that my children have to deal with now I didn't have to deal with at their age. They're having to grow up way faster than they ever did before. They're having to deal with things that I don't think are appropriate for them. Just being around their own social group and having to explain that. So not sugarcoating that has become a thing for me because even though they might not be going through it, I think they're empathetic to understand what that might be like. But other than that, I've got nothing. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing the stories that kids come home from school telling about things that they shouldn't know about yet. Yes. Uh, devices their friends have and things that they're seeing on those devices. Mm-hmm. Um, family situations. Uh, my son came home a little while back talking about one kid who was making fun of another kid whose mom was dead. I'm like, your kids are in elementary school. Yeah. You know, f- what's wrong with the world? Mylon told me a couple of weeks ago that he bought an ice cream for a little girl because... 
her mom was in the hospital having a baby and the baby's dad or the boyfriend who lives with them, they made him mad and he he beat them and she had bruises all over her. And so he was trying to make her feel better. So he bought her, he wanted me to know, I spent my money to buy her an ice cream. And I just thought, that's not okay. It's not okay for her and it's not okay for you. But what do you do with it? No. And we want to take him out of it. We want to hide him from it. But what good does that do? That's not an option. I mean, you you mm-hmm. can't. What are you going to do? Dig a hole in the ground? No. Keep them, keep them just within your small group. Of, I mean, can you imagine, though? Then when they're adults, then what happens? They're like, wait, but I just thought life was like this. Yeah. And you're like... The bubble will eventually pop, and it's always painful when it does. Um, so tell me uh, tell me a little bit more in your story. Um because you've, you've had a lot of uh, crucibles. Isn't that even a, what they call one of the Marine things? That's actually the event. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but you have had crucibles of infertility, of <laughs> the crucible itself, of moving and career and stuff like that. <laughs> um, not everybody comes out of those things like you did. I mean, some people go in and they get ground up and it's over. What made the difference? <laughs> I think that some of that actually comes from childhood and maybe not having every need I needed met and knowing that that's okay. It will come out in the end. You're going to be okay. I think you can learn that young. But I think the other thing is, is realizing that this isn't permanent, right? This whole life isn't permanent. Knowing enough to know that there, there's something else bigger in the world. Um, Determination. You decide, well, I don't want to be here anymore. So if I push through it hard enough and fast enough, it'll, It'll be over. It's easier to finish it than... Than to sit in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't understand people that sit in it. Um, and that's probably one of my shortcomings because I'm like, why don't just push through? That's what you do. And I don't understand that mindset. Yeah. A victim mentality to me is about the least attractive mindset a, a human being can have, mm-hmm. you know, where everything happens to them. And, and I have some control freak tendencies in me. You know, I'm not good at letting go and letting God. I don't even really like that phrase. You know, but mm, there's just something to doing that, you know, to, to taking a step forward in in faith. Um, I think it's a misnomer that people think that God is going to come save you out of some bad thing that's happening or some tough thing. God is going to walk you through it. Right. But sitting here, not making a decision to move and to make decisions to change the situation is is not going to fix anything. I don't wonder. That's the part I don't understand. Yeah. I, I think God calls you to still make decisions. We get paralyzed sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then that guarantees that we get stuck in it. When even if we had made the wrong decision, it probably would have been better than Notice. the decision to not make a decision. Mm-hmm. Um, that's crazy. So what's what's fueling your faith these days? What's what's good for your soul? So I have finally got to the point in raising kids where I can start focusing on me a little bit. Okay. So I think, one, the outdoors always fuels my soul, right? So you got to get outside. I run. I don't know why. I really don't like it. I really don't. <laughs> it's painful every time I do it. But it there's sure a, feels good when you're done. Though. It does. And that's why I do it. And and that gives me a lot of time. The other thing is, as I've started reading, and um, again, so I've, I've started where I'm reading three books at one time. It makes no sense, right? But I listen to a lot of audiobooks because I travel. So I can do that. So um I would do one for my faith growth. I do one for personal growth, whether that be for me or a said child or whatever. Yeah. And I do one for fun, which usually is most people don't find fun because I it's more like history, like not like any, you know, like the one you recommended, the 9-11. Like I'm way into that one right now. 
Yeah, Leslie makes fun of my fun reading. She's like, that's depressing. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's just about 9-11. I don't see what's so heavy about that, you know? It happened. Hello. Yes, yes. So that helps me grow my faith. Um, and I don't I always read my Bible, but I I need something to accompany my Bible to be able to read. Um, I don't know why that is. I just really have trouble just digging into the text. So when I went to this women's conference, um, I got a book about leaning into God and reading God's word in the Bible through a love lens, which is kind of different. So those are the things I'm doing. Well, this stage of life is a really busy stage because you've got soccer and hockey and soccer and hockey and soccer and hockey. And, and your job causes you to travel quite a bit. And I mean, you're married to a small business person, so that's always unusual. Yeah, you know, They say if you don't want to work 40 hours a week for somebody, work for yourself so you can work 100. And yeah, that's sometimes how... I think people don't realize how much it, it look from the outside. It doesn't look like a ton, but yes, you're absolutely right. It's never done. So, so how are you, how are you navigating this season just of, of the busyness? Trying to make sure that I didn't do it well for, I was getting burnout. I was not sleeping. It was not good for a minute and, and recentering myself and realizing I have the way I feel affects, first of all, my whole family, because whether I like it or not, the mom is like the center point and right so if i'm like dragging everything everybody else feels that marshall will try to fix it the kids are like what's wrong so i needed to learn how to take time for myself so that is one thing that has become a thing and nobody ever makes me feel guilty about it which is a wonderful thing because if that was the case then it would be even more difficult um and then making the most important things the most important things and making sure my kids know that so there's a that is what, um, because it's always, there's always going to be something to do. It turns out I'm really, really, really controlling in certain things. Like I like a house run a certain way. We like to do things at a certain time. I don't like to be late, but my to-do list, it's never going to end. And just being okay with that. Yeah. That's been a mind adjustment. Getting comfortable with the fact that I can't do everything and I can't be everywhere. That's it. I heard somebody call it strategic neglect one time. You're going to neglect something, so be strategic about what you neglect. I like that. I like that that language. So, you know, it's better to to know what things to fail at. Mm -hmm. um, but man, that's that's still super hard because, you know. Because life happens mm -hmm. and you get caught up in it. Absolutely. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to share? I don't think so. Okay. Imagine what else you'd want to know. <laughs> I'm not that interesting. What's your social security number and mother's maiden name. I'll tell you later. Okay. Okay. Well, I think this has been a lot of fun. Thank you guys. Uh, so much for being with us today. Thank you, Miranda, for your time. And thank you for sharing this with a friend. Uh, and until we meet again, I can't wait to see what God's up to in your story. Thanks for listening to Rough Drafts. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, help us spread the word by leaving a rating and review. Until next time, let's keep looking for how God writes his love into our stories. <laughs>